You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Uh oh, look here, I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to The Edge, the weekly podcast of the Bass Edge television show airing each and every Wednesday and Sunday morning on the Versus Network. I am your host, Aaron Martin. Over the next 60 minutes, we are going to have the opportunity to speak with BASS elite angler Kenyon Hill, as well as chat briefly with Matt Malden from Solar Bat Company. Uh, I will also be announcing the winner of our weekly product giveaway and tell you how to get in on the action. And finally, we'll then go to the listener email bag and answer this week's listener email question. Uh, first, before we get to that, you know, this is a time we've reached uh, kind of one of those lulls, uh, at least for the elite anglers, to where they have some time off. And in talking with uh, several members of our pro staff, uh, I know they're kind of using this opportunity just to get some much, much deserved rest and relaxation and uh, get caught up on kind of the business end of fishing. Um, myself, I actually had the opportunity today uh, to spend some time on Table Rock Lake. Uh, Ranger Owners Tournament is uh, actually on Table Rock Lake, and I have the opportunity to go out and uh, spend some time with uh, one of my good friends and uh, fish as the non-boater, I guess, if you will, and fish the team tournament on the Rangers Tournament. Looking very forward to that. Uh, went out and practiced a little bit today. And uh, water surface water temperature is around 73 degrees. Uh, had uh, um, a limit, only weighed about 13 pounds. Was catching those actually on a on a shaky head and then a mojo rig, but uh, having a little difficulty in finding the big fish. I mean, there's there's some some really good sticks here, and I I really think it's probably going to take about 19 pounds to win and to walk away with a title at this event. And I'm I'm anticipating there's probably going to be around two to 250 boats. But uh, I'm going to go back out at it again tomorrow, and then uh, we'll kick off uh, that tournament on Saturday morning. So wish me the best of luck there as, as we know we need it. All right, there is um, a lot of action ahead, but we need to take a quick break, and then we are going to join Kenyon for this week's Angler Spotlight. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. All right, we're back on The Edge. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak with Kenyon Hill, who is currently fishing the Bassmaster Elite Series. So let's head right to that interview and hear what Kenyon has to say. Kenyon, welcome. And thanks. thanks for being a part of, of Bass Edge. Would would like to hear some thoughts on your upbringing or introduction, I should say, to the sport is is a little bit unique or different from others. Yeah, uh, my dad is Dr. Lauren Hill, and he was director of the OU Biological Station on Lake Texoma 
for 30-some years. And so I started going down there and spending my summers down there at age two and got to fish at least once a day. So, you know, uh, never learned to water ski, lived on a lake. You know, Dad was a dyed-in-wool bass fisherman, and that's how I got started, fishing uh, with him and then on my own around the bank for anything that'd bite. But, uh, yeah, fishing uh, with my dad and then also having a good, you know, biological background with him is, is kind of how I got started. So throughout that, that beginning, it sounds like that, you grew up fishing farm ponds and small waters and, and were able to, to turn that and take that to where you are today. Yeah, I did fish quite a few of those, but actually most of my fishing was on Lake Texoma. Yeah, and, uh, you know, walking the shores of Lake Texoma, and then in the evenings when after dinner uh, at the biological station, we go out, you know, fishing, and a lot of times we were chasing white bass or black bass or whatever, but uh, during the day when Dad was working, me and my buddy would, uh, you know, fish for sunfish or catfish or whatever would pull you know we didn't care and uh, i just grew up cruising the cruising the shores of lake texoma present day summarize the the 2006 bassmaster elite season for you what did you walk away with that with your strengths and um i just didn't have a real good season you know uh had a good tournament or two you know this year there was uh for me personally there was a big financial strain because i wasn't able to land a sponsor to help with the entry fees you know entry fees went from little bit to $55,000 in one failed swoop and and so I've been struggling with that all year and it's been tough you know trying to keep that in the back of your mind and perform and I think it's affected the way I fish this year uh, I fish probably more conservatively and it probably cost me quite a bit when you say conservatively um, trying trying to just you know make the top 50 cut trying to make you know uh, the the money cut rather than trying to you know hit one over the fence and uh, you make decisions differently and you fish differently and I think it really affected my fishing this year anything that that you picked up throughout the course that something that stands out that that you learned uh, no not not really major uh, in that respect it's just been you know a long hard road uh, and just frustrating because I know I'm a you can fish better than I did with the sport you know obviously there's there's physical demands financial demands mm-hmm. uh, mental demands how how can you juggle all these things as a professional angler and then you have you know scheduling and uh, yeah. so many things it's just it's the, it's lifestyle. It's my lifestyle. It's what I do. It's the only thing I've done for 21 years. And so it just kind of comes naturally for me. You know, I can be ready to fish a tournament in about a day. You know, mentally dialed in, ready to go, full bore, and uh, be able to turn it off at the end. You know, it's just something we, I've learned to do through the course of the years. So uh, funky schedules, driving halfway across the country in one day, and all the craziness we got to do. I it doesn't seem crazy to me. I've never done anything else, you know. So it's just it's just part of it for me. Some people are just getting started in it. Yeah, it's kind of hectic, but it's you know it's you know same thing, different day. It's not a big deal. Present day, we're you know really right here, knocking at the door on the the Table Rock uh, mm-hmm. final event of the season, Table Rock Bassmaster Elite Series. What? Um, what are your thoughts? What's, what's your expectations going? Uh, what, how I'm going to approach it is keep it as simple as I possibly can. Uh, typically, this time of year is a very difficult time to catch fish on Table Rock. Uh, I fished years and years ago. I fished tournaments here in, the, in September, and, and the weights were pretty low. But uh, the lake's changed. The spotted bass has become more prevalent. 
and bigger and along with the smallmouth bass. So there's different opportunities available than it was back then. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, some guys are really uh, dreading it because they're not going to have to fish deep and clear. Well, you know, uh, deep doesn't bother me. Clear doesn't bother me. Uh, I actually enjoy a challenge, you know, in a puzzle, and that's basically what it is, figuring out the pieces to the puzzle. You know, people ask me uh, what my favorite way to catch one is. I said, the, whichever way they're biting, and I don't care. Catching them, that's what I want to do. Whatever, you know, from flipping to jigging spoons to six-pound test to 65-pound test, I don't care. Whatever it takes, you know, I enjoy I enjoy catching them, and that's what it's, that's all about. So, Any anticipation of uh, where you think the fish or what will be the winning pattern? I think this time of year, and they, we've started having cool nights. Fall is kind of, you know, sneaking in, stick, you know, sticking its uh, toe through the door, as it were. And, and so there's going to be some fish caught shallow, and there's going to be those California boys and those guys like that deep clear is going to be catching fish. Uh, probably as deep as 60 foot in some places. Uh, probably average is going to be around a 35, 25 to 35 foot. Uh, they'll be catching them, maybe some 40s. It'll be pretty consistent. And, but there's also be some guys catching them shallow. So it's going to be difficult to say. It's going to how the weather plays out, how the how the water plays out, and then uh, you know what kind of pressure different patterns are getting. You know, if there's a lot of pressure on a shallow water bite. Uh, a lot of fishermen fishing it, then it won't be a winning pattern. But if one or two guy get it, guys get it to themselves, then there'll be enough for them to win. So it's you know it's just toss up. You see up. three really three patterns potentially. Um, Probably, yeah. There'll be uh, you know people fishing deep. There'll be p- people fishing deep suspended fish hanging out in those treetops, and then there'll be uh, a relatively shallow bite, probably ten foot or less, going on somewhere. And that'll be probably the three major things happening. Looking ahead forward to the upcoming uh, 2007 season, thoughts there? Uh, you know, and quite frankly, I couldn't even tell you where we're going. I mean, uh, you know, um, I, I, the lakes anymore, I don't, you know, care one way or the other where we go. Um, once it, when it's time for me to start worrying about that or, or thinking about that or planning ahead, you know, then I'll look at it and go. And we have a good schedule. You know, the first one I know is at Amstead. Then we go to California for two, and I fished out there before. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's a long drive, and California is really expensive and stuff. But the fishing's good, and it's someplace different. I enjoy going to different places. I get tired of the same old, same old, same old stuff. You know, uh, year after year after year, and and uh, so to go to new places uh, where you can go really open-minded and you don't have to fight past history stuff, whether it's good or bad, you can just kind of let yourself go, and uh, I really enjoy that. Do you see this year's schedule um, as a power stacked, or you know, or we'll see the the bags that we did during the two thousand six? Probably, yeah. Um, I think they're making an effort to land on where we can really whack them um, because it's become so TV oriented you know I mean and uh, they don't want to see uh, you know tough tough weight tournaments low weight tournaments on TV uh, from a from a strategic and fishing standpoint uh, they're kind of cool 
you know, because you're never really out of it, and there's a lot of a lot of mental aspects that go into it. So rather than just a smash mouth tonnage deal, you know, um, there's a there's a lot that goes into a tough tournament that I actually really enjoy. And uh, <clears throat> but they're stacking them up so we can whack them. And it, it's a TV deal, and it's fun, you know. Everybody likes to catch them. Sure. <laughs> it's pretty intimidating, I guess, when you have 20-some pounds and you still oh, find yeah. yourself not in the hunt, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. Yeah. How, how much does the mental aspect play into to tournament fishing or just fishing? Tournament fishing? Uh, probably 90%, uh, especially at this level. Uh, the skills... For the most part, are fairly well level. Uh, the the physical skills casting. There's some guys stronger at some, and some, you know. And I mean, everybody's a little strong, you know, a little stronger one technique than you know. It, there's kind of an ebb and flow there, but uh, for the most part, it's pretty level. So I would say the mental aspect is probably ninety percent of it. Are there things that you do personally to keep your mental game sharp? And yeah, there's. Uh, um, you know, you try to concentrate on, on what's what's at hand, and uh, that's not always easy to do when there's a lot of other distractions. And um, you know, I just I just try to have fun out there. If I can remember to have fun, I normally do well. You know, when I start worrying about this, that, and the other is when I normally mess up. But uh, if I can remember to have fun, that's when I normally whack them. Be in the moment. Yeah. What about practicing um, leading up to a tournament? Mm-hmm. So many different variables that's involved. You know, it's not just you showing up to fish the tournament and getting to run around on these nice wrapped boats. There's there's a lot of things that go into mm-hmm. preparation. This level. Yeah, you know, I've been preparing for uh, slowly for about a week. Uh, you know, in bait selection. Uh, Friday, I went through and respooled all my rods. You know, for for this lake, and um, you just got to start thinking. You know. Uh, about the lake, what's what's coming up, what the cover is, what the potential patterns are, um, what the catch potentially could be, you know, and uh, and just start getting ready for this particular lake. It, you you really just got to kind of soak into the lake, and that's um, it helps to know the history, you know, uh, what what weights you expect, where what areas. Of the lake. Now, I don't worry so much about finding out specific spots, but what areas of the lake produce different times of year, you know, so I can put myself in areas that uh, give me an opportunity to do well. And that's, you know, and then you got to, your practice is something that is, I'm constantly trying to refine how to make it better because um, you need to be systematic about it. You can't be so random about it. Uh, yet, you have to have some flexibility to go with a hunch. So, it's uh, practice is tricky. Hours of practice. How about how many hours do you? Daylight to dark for two days, and then I'll quit probably two hours early, uh, two hours before that we have to be at a meeting on uh, on the third day. So I really only get about two and a half days of practice. So during practice, do you generally approach it? the standpoint that you already have areas that you are going to go try and baits that you're going to go try yeah i have a pretty much you know i try to get a starting point and uh, then you build from that you know if you if you say well i'm going to fish creek channels so you you go and you start fishing these creek channels and it doesn't pan out so you kind of well oh well there's a good looking point you go to a point you you catch one 
Well, then you've changed a little bit. Well, creek channels aren't working out, but I did catch one off a point. And so you can either look around your GPS or your map or just look around and, and go to the next one and try to find similarities. So that's a lot of how, how been, you, know, you, you build on stuff is you take the information that's given you and then you try to build on that. Okay, let's spend a little time talking about crankbaits and mm-hmm. you know, the applications uh, that, on how you use those. Okay. You know, crankbaits, crankbaits are a great searching bait, uh, and they make crankbaits that run on the surface legitimately down about 25 foot. I mean, you really got to get some cranking done to get it down that deep. Most of the time, it's 18, 19 foot, and uh, there's about a bazillion of them. So, Percentage-wise, how often do you go to a form of those crankbaits? I use them quite often uh, is to help eliminate water. Now, it's not always my first choice for to actually catch the fish, but it may give you maybe a, a good and quick indicator that there's fish lo- uh, in the area. You know, you get a strike or two, a fish or two, then you may slow down and throw a jig or something like that and really whack them. But it's a good way to cover a lot of water very thoroughly and very quickly because you can pick a crankbait that will follow a contour. You know, if it's a 45-degree uh, bank and you want to fish from 3 foot down to 8 foot, well, you can get a crankbait that will run 12 foot you know, or 10 foot, and it'll bounce on the bottom from three foot all the way down to eight foot. So you can cover that whole area very thoroughly. Strictly search bait for you or often? No, it's often it's, an, often it's an 18, an 18 type of deal, yeah. Um, any particular uh, depth that you like fishing better than others? No, not necessarily. Uh, you know, that's why I carry entirely probably too many crankbaits uh you know i carry a lot that are the subsurface you know just over the top of the cover type stuff and i carry a lot of uh crankbaits that drive that 16 to 18 foot range and and everything in between so uh you know it just you got to be able to fish what's handed to you you can't always fish what you want to fish so you got to be versatile is that depth range uh, determined upon the time of the year? Absolutely. It's a, it's a seasonal pattern issue, and it's also, uh, uh, you know, a lake condition issue. You know, the, the dirtier the water, the normally the shallower the fish are going to be. You know, you're not going to need those big deep diving crankbaits if you only see down a foot. You know, you're going to need your square lips and those kind of crankbaits. Uh, but if the lake is fairly clear... Uh, then you don't necessarily eliminate those shallow water crankbaits, but you add to the potential and need, needing your deeper running crankbaits. That's clear as mud, isn't it? No, that's great. <laughs> that's great. That's that made perfect sense. Electronics play a key as far as crankbait fishing are really... Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's, finding, the, it's finding the cover and the habitat, you know, is what I use primarily in, in crankbait fishing. Uh, like at Kentucky Lake, when we fished there, you know, you had to keep on the drops. And so you use your depth finder to find the drops, to find the, where the creeks met into the river channel and things like that. So, yeah, it's very key, you know, keep on that drop. You know, I, I mean, I keep my front transducer on my trolling motor so I know exactly where the reading is coming from. And, uh, yeah, it's very critical for me. Is contact of actually making contact with the bait between the structure of the bottom, is that... Uh, for me, that's, that's crucial. You know, there's a lot of guys that can do that suspended kind of... I don't. I like one to make some ruckus. 
<laughs> Daddy likes to make a little racket down there. You know what I'm saying? So I want it to bounce around, ricochet off stuff, root around, kick up mud, throw rocks at them. You know, I want it to blow the nose down there. You hear wide wobble, you know, narrow wobble. What difference between them? Um, well, obviously one's narrow and one's one's wide. Um, and, and oddly enough, well, people will say, well, when the water's cold, you want a tight wobble, and when it's warmer, you want a wide wobble. But at Table Rock here, for example, in, in, in the spring, early spring, when the water's pretty cool, there'll be guys catching on a shad wrap, which is a very tight wobble, and there'll be guys throwing a wiggle ward, which is a very wide wobble. So I think it goes down to personal preference as much as anything, you know, uh, and what they seem to be related to. You know, you need to try a tight wobble, you need to try a wide wobble. Preferences of line for crankbaits yeah, versus fluorocarbon versus... Yeah, you know, uh, for years all we have is monofilament, and that obviously still works. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, fluorocarbon, the advantage of fluorocarbon is is it uh, it's a little more sensitive. It's stiffer. You can feel what's going on. But it is, you can also throw braid, and it's even more sensitive yet. And uh, so I'm kind of an influx. I still use a lot of uh, monofilament. And I start to uh, I use some fluorocarbon. Although the downside of fluorocarbon is is it is a, I, it's it's not as casting friendly as monofilament or braid for me anyway. I seem to backlash it more. So uh, I'm using a, mixing in a good bit of uh, of braid and trying it and having some good success, especially in lakes when there's a lot of grass. When you run your crankbait down to the grass and you want to rip it out, well, you don't have to throw your arm out of socket with braid because there's zero stretch. You can rip it right out of that grass, and you know, you, that's when you'll get your bites. So uh, I've taken that and kind of moved it, you know, easing out, experimenting, to see if it'll work in most any other conditions. Because it, a crankbait is a reaction bait. You know, they don't sit there and it doesn't just stand there and they don't have, bass didn't study it. You know, like the will a jig or a worm or something like that. It's moving and it's bouncing off stuff. So I think a line visibility is less critical as it is with a, with a finesse type where they can look at it and a jig or something, they can re- really look around it. It's, they got to bite it or not, you know, because it's, it's moving on. So I think I, get, I can get away with braid more often than not, more often than I think I can. Advantage to that is you can throw like 14-pound tests, it'll be like 6-pound diameter, so you increase the depth that crankbait will run. And then it's stronger. You know, it's not six-pound test; it's twenty-pound test or whatever it is, and you can feel so much better because it's it's a straight, direct to the real kind of feeling. You can really feel it bouncing off stuff. So um, I'm uh, gradually just through experimenting and, and fishing it and going back and forth between monofilament and it, figuring out what I can and can't get away with on braid. What about as far as uh, gear speed? Reel. I always use like Rock. a six to one gear ratio reel. I always uh, I keep them. That's just what I use across the board for the most part. I have some that are even faster for certain type of baits, but I don't necessarily like a slower one. I can always slow it down. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you'll be fishing a crankbait at a medium pace, and a fish bites it, and you need to keep up with it. You need to keep slack out of it. If you can keep slack out of it, that's most of your battle. Um, I like to use. Uh, uh, American Rodsmith rod. Most of it's a Peter T six and a half, or seven foot Carolina rig medium, and uh, it's made for Carolina rig and braid. 
because of its, you know, a little more, it's more limp, a little more forgiving. But it turned out to be kind of a, a good all-around rod for me for spinnerbaits, for crankbaits, and stuff like that. So I use that a lot. So that would be a great general-purpose crankbait rod as well to wear. I throw a spinnerbait, crankbaits, buzzbaits, all that on that rod. As well as potentially some Carolina rigs. Like yeah, well, if I if, could if, if I was had braid on the main reel, if you, if you're not using braid on the main reel, it's a little too soft. But it's if you use a regular Carolina rig rod with braid, you'll bust your your fluorocarbon or monofilament leader uh, because it's too stiff. You got to have a buggier whip rod, so you got to learn to those trade outs. From the, the standpoint of newer anglers, let's say if going to a new body of water. I'm sure you mm-hmm. go to lakes that you've oh, never yeah. been to before. How can they take that lake and have success? There's always going to be some fish shallow. Always. And for the most part, there's always going to be, um, not necessarily shallow, but always going to be fish on points. So if there's good cover available on the banks, you know, kind of look for uh, bait fish, that'll be another key. But when in doubt, if you just fish points, you're going to catch some fish. Point, point, point. Any specific bait as far Not as necessarily. to address the point? Um, you know, everybody has their favorites. Some people like crankbaits. Some people like worms and Carolina Ridge. You know, you got to go with what you're comfortable with. It's a confidence deal. But, uh, you know, if you just, if you just when in doubt, fish a point, you'll, you'll catch something. Do you have any bait that you lean more towards? No, it, it varies from lake to lake. You know, it's it's and what and condition to condition. You know, if 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 you only could see down a foot or two, you know, I may lean towards shallow running crankbaits or spinnerbait, something like that. Uh, table rock that's really clear, you may go to a Carolina rig, a drop shot, back off a little bit, and fish instead of a foot to three foot, you fish from. You know, maybe a foot down to thirty foot. So you got to let the conditions dictate. You know, I do anyway. What what my bait selection is according to the water clarity and 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 what type it covers on these points. But you know, there's always going to be fish around somewhere. For an angler who is trying to work their way up um, or you know get beyond just the club level, any thoughts or recommendations that you could make? It's, yeah, it's a it's a serious commitment, you know. And uh, one thing I'm always asked is, how do you get sponsors? And it's a very simple thing. You got to figure out what you can do for them. It's what they can do for you is pretty simple, you know. Uh, but what can you do for them? If you can answer that question, what you can do for them that may be unique and especially unique to you. Um, whether it be just old-fashioned elbow grease more than anything else, uh, then uh, you start becoming valuable. You know what you you have to be able to demonstrate what you have to offer, and until you can answer that question, and uh, then sponsorship is going to be difficult. Just because you fish, nobody's going to sponsor you just because you fish. Um, you know now if you're great. You know, they may, fishermen, and want everything around. Yeah, they may sponsor you because you're great, but that's what you're unique and that's what you have to offer. And so you got to figure out what you have to give them, and that will allow you to get your sponsorship up. But it's a serious commitment to fish this level and to work your way up because it is. There's been a lot of people fish away out of families and everything else because of it because it is, it's tough. These guys are good. Well, and to me, looking from the outside, looking in, that it's just, such a demand not only 
from a time commitment, but like you said, it affects every area of, of your life. life. Yeah, it's a total commitment. You can't halfway do it anymore. You know, those days are gone. Um, you know, there are tournaments that allow you good, strong, tough competition, reasonably good payouts in a regional setting. And and those are, are successful because of a reason. You know, you, these people, you know, you just either, one, don't want to make that jump because of family. You know, they'd rather see their kids grow up than hear about it over the phone. Uh, or just, you know, they're financially set. They get kids in college. They can't take the risk and stuff like that. So there's lots of different levels of tournaments. Um, and uh, to, there's not necessarily one better than the other. You know, there's just people who are more committed to the sport or crazy or whatever you want to call us, you know, or just, uh, you know, you can work your way up the food chain. But uh, there's good competition at basically every level. What is the, what's the common denominator amongst the elite series angler? You know, you're here for a reason. Yeah, it's just a passion for the sport. I love what we do. You know, we, um, every, you know, we disagree with... Uh, way the tournaments are run, or this or that, or this or that. But the common number is just a passion for fishing, passion for the sport. And therefore, you feel that the passion pursues you to figure out how to figure out all the rest of it. Yeah, make it work. <laughs> that's that's a, a, a great piece of advice. Uh, briefly, just a, some quick comments on um, moment you most remember in your career. Uh, first tournament I ever went to. Yeah, we were at. Uh, uh, West Point, and it was a December tournament. It was a tough, tough tournament. But I remember in standing line of registration, and there I was. You know, there was Larry Nixon and Tommy Martin and Jimmy Houston, and behind me was Rick Klein and Roland Martin and Denny Brower. And I finally realized, you know what? I'm here. <laughs> I am here. You know, this is 21 something years ago, but I, I remember that distinctly. You know, standing in that registration line. So how how did you fare? I never caught a keeper. Never caught a keeper. But my all-time, but my only saving grace was that my all-time hero, because I grew up a worm fisherman, Larry Nixon, never caught a keeper either. So I felt <laughs> all right. <laughs> I remind him of that every time I see him too. <laughs> That's good. One thing that you want people to, when they think of Kenyon Hill, what, what do you want associated with? I think. Uh, Probably a, a good and honest guy, you know, someone that you could trust. There's there's people out here that will do anything to catch a fish, and I want to be remembered that will as someone who will uh, can catch fish but does it uh, honorably, you know. If you, yeah, that's I guess that's what I want to be remembered as. Thoughts on Bass has built uh, not only personalities, mm-hmm. or literally creating, helping companies create branding. Uh, has that been been positive? Uh, it's been positive for the sport. Um, like everything, you have issues. You know, um, you you don't get that opportunity unless you have success, and um, or you shouldn't get that opportunity unless you have success. So we're hammering through. Uh, you know, uh, some handpicked people that maybe should or should not have been. You know, it's the way it is. It's it's you're dealing with people, so there's always going to be the problems. Well, this guy's getting a lot of press that you know he probably shouldn't, and there's this guy over here that's really whacked him, and and I think Bass is is working their way through that. I think they realize that, 
and I think they're working their way through it. It's it's a slow process. I mean, it's but the bottom line, it's still a performance sport. So, like all sports are. So, you shouldn't expect to get something if you're not performing well. And with the involvement of the sport, there's been some bumps in that. Mm-hmm. You you see any limit to the end of of it? I don't know. There's probably limitations of what we can do and what we can't do. Um, I don't think we've nearly reached it. I think there's directions we can go um, as a sport to to really make the sport grow and become more mainstream. I think uh, the more fishing gets involved with charities and doing the right thing for people who need help, I think we'll, we'll, we'll real and most of these guys are that kind of people for the most part everybody you know most all the guys are that kind of people and uh, um, I think that'll really help bring us to the mainstream and the forefront and uh, you know helping people that need help is is probably where we can really do our do our thing closing how critical are sponsors for you everything yeah you can't do this without sponsors Um, there's you know, it's just, especially today, the financial commitment is crazy, you know, so you got to have them. Well, Kenyon, thank you so much for, for your time, but also just really your, your information that you've provided us with today. It's been a, a pleasure having you. Wish you best of luck in the upcoming 2007 season, and uh, thanks again. My pleasure. Hey, thanks, Kenyon, for that information. All right, next up is the product giveaway, but first... I need to take another quick break, and then we will announce this week's product giveaway winner. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, each week we randomly draw a winner from the received entries for some great products, and I'm sure as many of you are already aware of, but for those of you who are not, um, these are provided by our sponsor. And to register, all that you need to do is send in an email to podcast at bassedge.com with the subject line listed as product giveaway, as well as make sure uh, that you include your name and address within the body of the email. This week, we have a full lineup of products from Mother's Waxes, Polishes, and Cleaners, who makes um, basically uh, polishes, waxes, and cleaners for automobiles, as well as they also have that new marine line out that is uh, just tremendous. But the winner of this week's prize package goes out to Megan, from Homewood, Alabama. So congratulations, Megan. Uh, you have a full lineup of Mother's Fine Products headed your way, and those will be shipped out a little bit later this week. Okay, let's head to our listener email section where um, each and every week here on The Edge, we go and answer listener questions um, by either myself or the Bass Edge Pro Staff. Now, if you send us in a question, we will automatically enter you into the weekly drawing. So please... If you have a question that uh, maybe is on the back of your mind, but um, you know maybe you've been a little hesitant about sending that in, please do that because chances are you're going to help us all learn something by getting that addressed here on the edge. Uh, simply just send that to podcast 
at BassEdge.com. Again, that's podcast at BassEdge.com and just place in the subject line, listener question. Okay, this week's question is from David in New Fairfield, Connecticut. And it says, uh, Hello Aaron, I hear many of the pros saying that a jig is their go-to bait. I know that there are several ways to fish one. Perhaps you or the pro staff can go through the basics of fishing a jig. Sincerely, David from New Fairfield, Connecticut. And David, thanks so much uh, for taking time to send in your question. But you are correct. There are several ways um, to fish a jig. For instance, a football head jig, which has to do with the size or the shape of the of the actual head. It's extremely effective, not only for dragging, meaning just like you would a Carolina rig, you're going to try and keep that uh, in contact with the bottom as much as possible. But it also produces tremendous results by hopping it. And I prefer using a half ounce or a three quarter ounce in the football head. And um, whenever you hop the jig off the bottom like that, bass react to that sudden change. And a lot of times, Whenever you pop it, right on the downfall is when they're going to nail it. Also, uh, another popular jig is the round ball heads, like uh, like what they call the spider jigs. And I throw a lot of these in the 5 sixteenths and 7 sixteenths ounce size. And I've had most success, actually, by fishing that jig at fairly uh, a vertical level, meaning that instead of like the football jig where you're going to cast it out there and then drag it, I really want to fish these style of jigs pretty much straight up and down, uh, to at a maximum of 45, 45 degrees. Um, but what the, the bass key on on this, because of, of the round ball, and especially if you're using that 5 sixteenths ounce size, it really falls slow. And the bass really like to key in and hit this thing on the descent as well. And its effectiveness has really to do with, I think, the, the size of it. It's, it's more of a uh, smaller profile bait. But another thing to keep in mind for these jigs is being able to detect an often very light strike um, because if the bait's falling, you know, it's, it's, there's no resistance there. So to help with this, what I constantly do is watch my line. And then I also use a 610. The one that I use is actually made by Falcon, but it's designed specifically for that round ball jig head. And then I back that up with 12-pound fluorocarbon line to help increase uh, sensitivity. So there's a couple of very effective ways to, to fish a jig. And the great things about jigs, they can be fished year-round. But I can tell you that's that's one of the, the baits I think that's a little bit taken for granted because it, there is an art to it. And the best way to do that is to get practice. But also if you know somebody that you can get in the boat with who's very proficient and very good at fishing a jig, spend some time with them because it, it is a learned art. But I am confident uh, that yourself or any of us can learn how to do that. So, David, thanks so much for the question, and you are automatically entered in to next week's drawing. Okay, let's pause to take our final break, and when we come back, we will hear what Matt Malden has to say about eye protection. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. We're back on the edge. Let's join Matt Malden of Solar Bat to talk about some of the new innovations 
with regards to eye protection. Matt, thanks so much for being a part of this. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you get into talking about fishing, I think an often overlooked item is going to be the sunglasses. And as much as what everybody likes to put together styles, it really goes beyond just the style of the sunglasses. That's right. You know, SolarBat has spent many years developing their polarized lenses and especially their Mossback green lens. Uh, you know, down here in Texas, we've got a long uh, sight fishing season, a lot of muddy water, and so having a green lens that will filter out that um, the brown and the, and the mud and then also cut down the glare from the you know, heavy Texas sun is extremely important. And SolarBat does a good job of, of providing that for us. So when you look at I know that you have several you know, you know, different types of lenses. Can you give us a breakdown of you know, maybe what to look for in a lens and why it's important to have a quality lens or even you know, the colors that's sure. associated with it? Well, you know, and it's important for uh, eye protection to have uh, the polarized lens that'll that'll also block UV light just to protect your eye, uh, your iris and, and uh, cut down on the glare so there's less eye strain. Uh, but it's important that the the curve of the lens is correct um, because if you're out fishing for 12 hours a day, uh, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of eye strain after that long, uh, especially out on the water. And uh, when you have a lens that's proportioned correctly to your face, uh, then that really reduces the strain that you put on your eyes and allows you to see better, protects your eyes. And, and these pros out here that are doing this uh, day after day, uh, that becomes extremely important. And um, so we, we have spe uh, specially curved lenses that, uh, of course, Dr. Nesty, the founder of SolarBat, is an optometrist and, and spends a lot of time developing those uh, with, with his vast knowledge. Well, and, and there's so much that goes into um, you know, research and development, I know, from Dr. Nesty's applications that he's applied. But what about colors? You know, when I'm looking at the variety of, of types of lenses that Solarback uses, what's the best color lens to use for specific situations? Well, we've got a, a gray lens that's just best all around if you want it uh, for driving or, or you only fish part of the time and then part of the time you're out on the job or, um, you know, it's good all around. We found a lot of golfers like our amber lenses. They can really see the textures in the grass and the greens. Uh, and, and then, of course, the fishermen use the mossback green. Uh, I've had a lot of skiers use our, our polarized yellow uh, so that uh, they cut the glare and, and still see the, the moguls and things as they're going down the slopes. So it's really a sport-by-sport sport, um, uh, choice. And then, of course, we offer some uh, uh, mirrored coatings. Uh, and a lot of my uh, saltwater fishermen use that to cut down even uh, more glare and cut more light. So it sounds like that maybe the, the color of the lens has more to do with what it is you're trying to accentuate. Definitely. The colors that you're looking at um, uh, are really going to dictate what colors you want to transmit through the lens. And so if you're looking at, uh, you know, at, uh, at greens and want to see through it, you want to go with a green lens so, so that that other light comes through. And is it only important to have you know, a, a certain lens? if you fish a certain time of year or just on certain lakes? I mean, or how do you break that down? Well, with fishing, we say get the green lens. Uh, we've got a, a green lens with a yellow on the bottom. It's, it it uh, fades into the yellow. If, uh, so it doesn't matter then, really? No, it, re it really can, doesn't matter. You can buy, purchase that green lens and, and be covered regardless of the color. You, you, re you really can. Yeah, okay. definitely. All right. Um, what about as far as, you know, price levels? Because some guys that you know, may have a cheaper budget or a smaller budget uh, versus others. SolarBat has a, a handful of polarized lenses that run as low as uh, 19 or $20, and uh, then 
uh, our higher end are really only about $150, which are, are lower than the higher ends of, of some other brands. And then we sell prescription for anywhere from $220 to $360. So the difference between uh, the pricing is, is just going to be maybe in the style of the frame? There's the, there's the frames and there's the, the uh, material the frame is made out of, and then there's the material that the uh, lens is made out of and the quality of the polarized... Like the polarization. Yeah, the polarization in the lens. So basically there's three different levels and, and you can see that in the, in the price ranges. Well, the good thing is that presents an opportunity for regardless Definitely. of where you're at. That's right. Wise. That's right. Okay. Well, I wish we had more time, but how can um, listeners find out more about SolarBat? Well, you can buy uh, online at solarbatshades.com and uh, call in or email or buy directly online with any uh, credit card, debit card, or PayPal account. Great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being part of The Edge, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking or in touch soon. Thank you very much. Once again, I know it's hard to believe, but we are out of time. I want to thank Kenyon Hill as well as Matt Malden from SolarBat for taking time uh, out of their schedule to visit with us here on The Edge. For more cutting-edge information, visit our website at BassEdge.com as well as tune us in on the Versus Network every Wednesday and Sunday morning. Until next time, thanks for joining me and I look forward to next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.